welcome back to another episode of the Constructive Liberty Podcast, Intentionally Designing a Lifestyle of Freedom. Today I have on with me a special guest, and we're going to talk about the things that each of us have done in our own lives and with our own families to design our own version of that lifestyle of freedom that we all crave and that we long for and strive for. And we're going to talk about the ways that the past year, being 2020, has affected us, affected our lives, our business, and some things that we're going to do moving forward in designing our life to mitigate the effect that a pandemic or government response to that pandemic affects our lives. And with that, I say welcome, Brandon, to the Constructive Liberty Podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. So you're in town for the holidays. Um, You're obviously married to my sister. That's why we're brothers-in-law. And I thought it'd be cool to get you on just to talk about your perspective of life being from the left coast, kind of. You know, you're out that direction anyway. Um, So you've got a different perspective on life, but bring us up from you being a young man and what took you to where you're at today. All right. Well, that's a loaded question. I'll try and uh, keep my answer somewhat brief. But yeah, I I was born and raised uh, in northern Minnesota uh, to a Christian Mennonite uh, couple. And I guess if you, I guess your listeners would know what Mennonites are probably. Yeah, they should know. Okay. Most people right. do. <laughs> yeah, so it was a, a wonderful home, homeschooled. I we spent our summers in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, and then in the winter, my dad was administrator at Bible College down there in Pennsylvania. So we would travel back and forth, lots of traveling, kind of no, nomadic. Our family was growing up because um, my father also did a lot of preaching at churches all over the U.S. So we would. Um, I remember many times going on trips with him all over. So I grew up doing that until I was 15. And then my mother passed away of heart disease or heart attack when I was 15 years old. And so I went through a lot of pretty traumatic um, life experiences through that time. Obviously, that was the biggest, but we also had been planning on moving to Asia for about Three years before that, we had kind of um, felt God's calling, so we were. And that would be quite the lifestyle change yes, there. Yes, traumatic it was, changes, it was very big. And so, but we were planning on that. Mom was planning on going with us, obviously, for those couple of years. And then in 2006, when we were planning on going, that's when my mother passed away. And so that, and then also leaving what everything I knew growing up, whether it was Minnesota and Pennsylvania, our church and friends there. Um, it was different culture, different food, different language. Just everything was very traumatic for a 15-year-old. Well, and all and my siblings as well. Um, but it, it was it was good for us. It was I think that had a major effect on how I look at life now. Um, so so that was a, a big change in 2006. We moved to Asia and lived, did mission work. Started a Bible college over there. And then I, I was there a couple of years. My family's been there almost ever since. Uh, parts of my family, at least. My brother's still there now. Um, but I moved back in 2008 and moved to California and did 
VS work for a Christian book distributor. And VS work is voluntary service. Okay, gotcha. Basically, yeah. free free labor. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, we love that free labor, don't yeah, we? Exactly. <laughs> you want to move to Kentucky and and do some VS work for me? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I was there for two years, and that was a very interesting um, dynamic in my life as well. I was eighteen, nineteen, and it, yeah, it it was it was a rough rough time for me as far as. Um, a lot of loneliness and stuff, but it was it was also good time to do some soul searching. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like through the, those two years, it was really good with my time with God. I I grew a lot in the in that period, and then it wasn't too long after that I met your wonderful, beautiful sister, <laughs> not your, your wife, a sister. She became my wife. Yeah, um, and now we are living in. Northern Idaho on the Panhandle, um, right along the Washington-Idaho border. So that is, in a nutshell, my, my life story. That's a big now. nutshell. <laughs> and so just from hearing you talk for a couple of minutes, it sounds like you've moved quite a bit. You've been overseas a good bit and experienced quite a few different cultures. And having moved around a lot and seeing different areas of our own country that we live in, how has all of that moving and being overseas, how has that shaped your worldview? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is how blessed we are as Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so, so much and sometimes just take it for granted, not realizing um, what we have that so many of so many other people don't have. Um, Living in Asia, especially, kind of reinforced that for me because just just seeing the poverty, people working their butts off all day for one meal or enough money to buy one bag of rice. It, it's very, and then we can work for just a little side hustle job or whatever, and we have enough for a, a month's work worth mm-hmm. of food. Or yeah, just just being grateful for what we have because we we truly are very blessed and yeah. and even on top of that just my upbringing being from a good home that's not abusive not um yeah i i came from a christian home of parents that loved me provided for me and that that's, i think that would be the biggest thing the first thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. yeah that's it's amazing how you know we go through a little bit of hardship and we forget to see, you know, we still have a roof over our heads. We still have food on the table and we forget to be thankful and grateful for that because mm-hmm. man, I can't afford my Netflix subscription mm-hmm. this month. And it's like, yeah, wow, exactly. come on. How, how privileged are we as Americans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, go ahead. Sorry, butting in. One time I was in Cambodia and we decided we wanted to go out and uh, pass out food to that. We had heard about, uh, there was an actual town in a, a dump. One of the largest landfill dumps. A town and, built on yeah, a like, dump. And wow. people actually have little homes that they would just go in and scrounge for food. And so we're like, well, we heard about this, so we wanted to take a bunch of rice. And so we, we bought a couple, I think, two 50-pound bags of rice and divvied them out into small bags. And we went out there to pass them out. And I have never um, been quite as shocked, I guess, it, when we drove in in these little tuk-tuks. We pass out these bags, and people just flocked. They, it was like they came out of the dump, it seemed like. Wow. And some of their kids had 
nothing. They they were naked, and and I just it it hurt me to see these children being raised in literally a dump with no food, and yeah, it's just it's just a picture to me how blessed we are and how how often we take a bowl of rice for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of things I got from that. The first one, how cool is it to say one time when I was in Cambodia? <laughs> like to those of us who have only ever been overseas once, you know, that, that sounds like a, uh, you know, a story you don't hear too often. That's cool. But, but hearing, seeing the suffering that other people go through and we're here and, you know, we, we give a bowl of rice to our dog, no problem, because she loves the human food. And, to to imagine that there's people in the world that don't even have enough for themselves to eat. And I've got three freezers full of food here. Just wow. Yeah. So how did seeing those other countries, you know, you talked about being in Asia, Cambodia, and I don't know what all countries you've been in, but how has that shaped your perspective of freedom? You know, I talk a lot about designing your lifestyle in a way so you can live as free as possible. Has that had a big effect on how you choose to live, to try to be more free, to, to stay out from under the control of anybody who wants to control you, specifically government? Yes. Well, I think the biggest thing for us, Katie and I, is we, we've chosen to live debt-free. And I, the biggest reason for that is because it gives us liberty to do what we're wanting to do, what we dream of doing. We love traveling. Um, so we can, we don't have a payment tying us down. So we can just, if we have the money, we'll just go do it. Or, um, yeah, it just gives us, gives you liberty to do things when, when you're not locked into something. And even, even with the house right now, we're thinking of or we're in the process of transforming a bus into a little schoolie. Oh, that sounds and, like a fun project. Yeah. So, and the whole idea of that is um, we bought land, paid cash for it, and that's as far as we've gotten so far. We don't have money for a house yet, but we thought if we get the bus, we can transform it and live in that for a couple of years, hopefully save up some money before we put up a house. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot longer um, to get where you're going and your goals, but you don't pay interest. You don't, yeah, there's a lot of benefits too. And then, like I said, you can kind of up and, and just leave and be off of, of work for a month if you need to, because yeah, you have the freedom to do it. Yeah. Now that sounds a little different than what some people say. You talk about not having debt so that you can go do things. Whereas the other person says, I'll just swipe my credit card and I can do everything I want. Like, and just make a monthly payment on that, is that, that would give you more freedom in things you can do, wouldn't it? In a sense, but then you don't actually own anything. What what do you own that you get to keep yourself? You own because a payment. You own a payment, but the <laughs> bank owns everything else. Yeah. And, and I, I've just always been one of those guys that don't, I'm not willing to be 50, 60 years old and have nothing. Mm-hmm. Whether, I mean, like, yeah, you might look like you do, but the bank owns everything. And, to me, that's not living. That I want to be able to do what I want on my own property, build what I want with the cash, and not mm-hmm. not on payment. So the the debt free thing does that include, say, building or buying a house? 
cars? How how far do you take that? Is is there any room for any debt? That would be to me. There is one exception for a house. Anything that house or if it's related to business, if it, it's if it's gonna work for me, if I spend the money and it's gonna work to make more money for me, that that I see that a little differently. I I have a lot of friends that would get a, a snowmobile on credit or new guns or whatever, and to me that's a little different because it's just stuff that either de- decreases in value or um, is not working for me. It's just sitting there. But like a, like you said, a house I would definitely see differently. Cars I personally wouldn't because they depreciate in value so quickly. Uh, but there again, it's a little a little different. I own a, a small construction company, and we've looked. I'm uh, where I have a business partner, and I've looked into getting a, a loan for like a skid steer or lift or something like that to me it's a little different when it's business mm-hmm. um but i still try and shy away from debt as much as possible. yeah as much as possible that that's kind of the boat that my wife and i are in as well i do have a loan on on my truck but i was able to i kind of um justified that because it's my business vehicle mm-hmm. as well it's 90 percent business and about 10 percent personal use right and so that was the only way I could justify borrowing money for a little nicer vehicle. Mm-hmm. But something that we've struggled with is building a house. Like a lot of people, they'll, okay, let's build a house and they'll go borrow the money for it. And they're able to move into their house right now, but they're paying for it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So to avoid that debt, we've chosen to live in a camper for the past four years. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's so hard to see other people, younger couples building these massive McMansions and to see their comfort that they're living in can be hard. But on the other side of that, you look at how strapped down they are, how tied down they are to that payment every single month. And it kind of changes my perspective on the debt. And like, I don't even want to borrow for the house. I don't know. I totally understand that because it's like, well, it's kind of about instant gratification. Like, do we work really hard for the next five, seven years and get a house that you're paid off completely? Mm-hmm. Or do you get a loan and work for the next 15 to 20 years trying to pay that off? Or like, 30 years, like a lot 30, of loans. Yeah, it's like 30 years from now, I'm going to be 60. And I don't want to be paying on my house when I'm 60. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that, that's all. just not what I strive to do. I, I want... I, my wife and I, Katie, we've decided that we want to have a house fully paid off in five years. That's our goal. Whether we'll get there or not, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I think it's a realistic goal that we can. It, it wouldn't be no mansion, but it, it would be very sufficient for yeah. us. So I want to come back to that in a little bit, talking okay. about the goals. But you mentioned earlier, you know, we're on the subject of houses, and you said that y'all are working on a schoolie. Mm-hmm. I've never worked on a schoolie. I rebuilt a camper. Um, I've seen other people that have done schoolies, as they call it. What exactly is a schoolie? And tell me a little about that project. All right. So, well, it started about two years ago. And it would have gone quicker probably. But for one, it was laziness. And for two, we had a a great spot that we were renting. Um, We have terribly cheap rent. 
right on the river. That's always that a good we, thing. Yes. So it was like we could stay there and it's about a third of the cost of most rentals in our area. Wow. So we, we, we had a really good thing going on there. So I, I, I would basically do it in my spare time, but it wasn't something I put a high priority on. And then also part of that is we have a young man um, that we're legal guardians for, and he moved in about two years ago now. And the idea of living in a schoolie with him, he's uh, almost a 19 now. So that that was never going to be a realistic possibility, living in that with him. Yeah, so tell us what a schoolie is. So a schoolie is a, a bus house conversion, Okay, so taking a school bus and, and, and transforming and, and into, it to yeah, living house quarters. or motorhome motor type stuff. Yeah, I can see how living with a 19-year-old <laughs> in, in a cramped space like yes, that could be a challenge. It, <laughs> my head almost hits the ceiling. We, <laughs> we got the biggest one we could get passenger-wise. Um, okay. They do make some models that have raised roofs, which yeah. we really regret not getting. But they were—they did cost quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it was just kind of weighing the pros and the cons, money-wise, because we we found one uh, of with a Cummins engine, a low mileage that a school district was um, getting rid of. Okay, yeah. And I in our area, every after they get, I believe it's three hundred thousand miles, they automatically sell them regardless of what condition they're in gotcha. so you can get up you can pick them up pretty cheap if you watch auctions mm-hmm. um so we got one i think it was about four thousand so it, ballpark price is yeah, not, not, not bad not bad for for a house on wheels mm-hmm. and then the first first thing we did was gut it we took everything out and some people don't if you if you know the schoolie world a lot of people will keep the paneling in Okay. But we decided we wanted to put our own paneling in because rather than the metal look, we wanted um, TNG cedar. So we we pulled all the paneling out, all the flooring out. Some of the uh, sheeting on the floor was a little rotted. Okay. So I originally wasn't going to pull that out, but I, we decided to make, well, with it being as short as it was, I wanted to utilize all the space we could. Yeah. Do. So we, we took that out and then put a thin... A layer of insulation in okay. the floor. Very little, but I wanted as much as I could without taking out headspace. Mm-hmm. And then put new plywood down and, and started from scratch. But yeah, the paneling, insulation, everything on the sides, we took we took that all out too, which was a, a bit of a nightmare. It was all <laughs> pop riveted. Some oh, of them wow. have, have, are just screwed, so you can take the screws out pretty easily. But this one was pop riveted. So there's a lot of grinding and a lot of, a lot of, blood, sweat, and tears in that thing, but it, we got it done. Uh, yeah, I, I can uh, relate with that, having redone my camper. But is your intention with this, um, I, I see, if you look online at schoolies, a lot of people rent them out mm-hmm. or, you know, Airbnb them or Hip Camp, or I don't even mm-hmm. know what all the other ones are. Is that your intention there, or do you intend to live in that long term and until you're able to build your house? Well, kind of both. For right up here at first, while we're living on our land, it's just bare land, which we're hoping to put in a well first thing um, this spring. But is that something you can do yourself? No, the well? it, I, I mean, I would love to try, but most likely it's going to be going through rock and stuff mm. and 120 feet deep, I'm afraid. So, I, I I've gotten a couple quotes already. For yeah, it, I can but. see how that would be challenging digging a well yourself, yeah. 120 feet yeah, through exactly. rock. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass. But so no, we're we're planning on um, living in it for about well as long as we need to to get up a house. If, mm-hmm. Hopefully that's the goal. 
and and then Airbnb, Airbnb. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot on Airbnb, so that was kind of the goal when when I was looking at Airbnb, either a tiny house or schoolies. There's a lot more tiny houses than schoolies, and so that was my idea. Well, it's a little more of a unique niche in the market. So yeah. Yeah, wow, that sounds like you have a lot going on between construction and you've got property that you want to build on eventually, but you're living in a schoolie until that point. Sounds like a lot happening for you right now. And considering where we're at today, this being the last day of, of the year, yeah, 2020, and it, uh, it's been a crazy year for a lot of people, How how has that affected your plans for staying debt-free, for building the life that you and, and Katie, your wife, want? Um, well, to be honest, the, the whole pandemic that we've been facing here hasn't really affected us. Um, it would have affected my wife more. She's a real estate agent, and so she's having a hard time showing houses and some of that stuff because of the pandemic. But for, for me, Northern Idaho is just going crazy. Every, it seems like everybody wants to move, move there now. I, we have people in hotels with from, from California, from Seattle, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cash just waiting to buy up land that as wow. soon as it becomes available because yeah, people are trying to get out of a lot of those places more. So- in places that have a little more freedom because Idaho is very free state. Um, it's more conservative, but it's, yeah, it's a very free state. And so a lot of people seem to be wanting to get there. I think this last year, Idaho is the um, highest growth as far as people moving in. Wow. So it sounds like a lot of opportunity there. You mentioned mm-hmm. your construction company and your wife's real estate mm-hmm. agent. So anybody who's looking to move to the northern part of Idaho who should they look up? Well, we'd be happy to help whatever we can. Yeah, uh, what's the name of your business? Integrity Builders. Integrity and Builders. And my wife is uh, Katie Yoder, real estate agent. So cool. So check them out. out. Check them out. Talk a little bit about, let, let's riff on 2020 a little bit. It, it started out, seemed like a lot of promise. You know, it's the, the year 2020 and it, you know, it's two numbers back to back. I'm a numbers guy, so I like pattern things like mm-hmm. that. It's It's kind of cool. And 2020 had a lot of pattern numbers in the months and days. And if you go forwards and backwards on them, it was it was kind of cool to me. But it didn't really go the way most people expected. No, it didn't. Um, for myself, you know, January started out pretty slow. I was actually working out of state quite a bit up through January. And February, I was just kind of getting back into the swing of things back here in Kentucky. And I totaled my truck on the highway. So ended up having to find a new truck. I didn't have much work. And then the pandemic hit. And things just seemed to go downhill for the whole world, it seemed like. How's your view of has your view of life and people changed? Because seeing people's reactions and you know, a two years ago if you walked into a place with a mask on People were like freaking out because they thought you were about to rob the place or something. Now, if you walk into a place without a mask on, half the people freak out again, and and it's like you're you're killing grandma, not killing grandma. But but 
talk a little about that. How has your perspective on life and the world changed in the past year? Well, I think the biggest thing for me that I think of is how quickly we are to just give up rights or or just go along with the flow, regardless of, I mean, whether it's proven or not, we, we'll we just go for it. And, uh, like the mask, I, I know it's a kind of maybe a t- touchy subject, I don't mm-hmm. know, but people... Yeah, just oh, let's just wear it regardless. And when when you look at the facts, you look at the numbers. I don't. It it just doesn't seem to line up. And mm-hmm. we're we're just we'll just take everything that we hear and oh, it must be true, and let's just do it. Yeah. And it's like I don't know. I think we need to. Yes, we. If if it's proven, we can go for it. But not to just take everything hook hook line and sinker. Yeah. Like. Use your use your heads, use your brains, and and really evaluate things. I think I think sometimes we we try and put push that off on other people, and it, I don't know. I think today more than ever, it's important that we really think through things, research them well. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I know you and I are both more thinkers, and so we try to think through logic and reason through everything. But most people feel rather than think Mm -hmm. and it can be hard to reason with somebody like that because i feel this way and so therefore it is and it can be challenging to bridge that divide to to reach them where they're at and to care for them when they feel like i'm gonna die if you don't wear a mask Mm -hmm. so some of that is challenging you know coming from a christian perspective Mm -hmm. and trying to care for those people while at the same time, you know, I've got respiratory issues, and if I wear a mask, you know, I'll I get claustrophobic. I don't get claustrophobia except if I'm forced to wear a mask for a while, unless the conditions are way worse than not wearing a mask, mm-hmm. like in a really smoky atmosphere or something. But let's move to a lighter subject. All right, sounds good. <laughs> what is looking back on the year 2020? What's one thing you would do different if? You knew the way 2020 was going to go. Um, I would have waited to buy cryptocurrency. Oh man, you took mine. It was down was, around like five thousand oh, in February. I, I've been kicking myself because I I've always been big in that world. I love I, I I'm big as far as I enjoy it. It's not like I'm invested largely in it, but I I love that world. And I would have waited because I got into it right at the wrong time mm-hmm. and. And it hasn't scared me off. I still am very much yeah. wanting to get into it more and more. But I would have definitely waited until it hit. Yeah, Bitcoin was down five, six thousand. And I put everything you got into it. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we did invest a bunch when it was really low, and I have done done pretty well. Um, but with stocks and with crypto, but I would have done a lot more. That's for sure. And I would have waited <laughs> to get into it till then. Uh, yeah, that's definitely one that one that I would have done as well is put everything I've got into it. Right now, I think last night I looked and it was up right around 28,000. Absolutely insane. <laughs> just going to keep going up. Yeah. It, really it, is. it it may have a uh it it may level out a yeah, bit. It may no, come back down some, but overall, you know, if you look at the future projections, mm-hmm. it's definitely going up. The the potential for cryptocurrency and you know, Bitcoin is a big one. Mm-hmm. And which actually, in a lot of ways, for functionality, it's not necessarily the best. Right? Yeah, but it's the most popular, mm-hmm. the most well known. It was one of the was the first, I mm-hmm. believe. 
and <laughs> just you know we can sit here and think oh man i missed out on that one but you probably haven't it's going to keep going higher and higher yeah, and there's many other ones that are great investments as well so it's not just bitcoin for sure that's a fun topic to talk about i i enjoy it but i'm not as invested in it as i'd like to be at this point but um let's go back to something else you mentioned you talked about setting goals how are you going about setting goals to set yourself up for success in 2021 and beyond well i'm a very visual guy um I need to see something or have my hands on it in order to really, I don't know, put my full focus on it. And mm-hmm. so the, one of the things that we do is we budget, uh, a lot of cash budgeting, but every, every month, uh, when, when, when I get my paycheck, we set aside a certain amount and that's going directly towards the house, the well, and, and we don't touch that money. How we live our lifestyle after that varies some months. We can splurge a little more, others we can't. But mm-hmm. that money is locked in. That's going in regardless. And then I, like I said, I'm a visual guy. So I have one of those thermometer type um, charts. And every month we, we chalk it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, oh, and so I can see it's in our bedroom, on our closet. So I can see it every time I, I get dressed. It, yeah. And it's kind of a visual thing for me. Oh, we're getting closer. It's, it's slow. It's obviously a slow process, um, but we're getting closer. We actually have, I think, four. I have four, and then Katie has some for her personal real estate business as well. But we have one. What, what we need to save this year to meet our goal, our long-term goal, mm-hmm. what we need to save like monthly, and then uh, we also do a side hustle one where okay. we try and – and actually, it's kind of a competition. I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> My wife, Katie – your sister's a yeah. very competitive person. Oh, don't as well. I know it? <laughs> so we we both try and see who can bring in more side hustle money. Gotcha. Which usually she beats me because I'm working full time and she's I mean she's working but it's not full time mm-hmm. and so she has a little more time. But we we yeah it's a little competition that we try and bring up side hustle money on top of what we both make. And so I don't know, just seeing those charts, seeing those goals always kind of helps me focus on the end game because sometimes, yeah, it's easy to get discouraged. It's like, man, it's just taking so long or you have unexpected bills come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing those charts kind of gives me a picture and a purpose. Oh, that's awesome. Goals. I love to hear that. Tell me a little about how you go about setting those goals. Cause I'm, I'm a goal guy too. I, I like to set goals and to achieve them, but sometimes you know, I'm, I might not write it down. It's just a goal in my head. But if I go about the goal setting process in the right way and I write it down and I can see what I'm working towards, it's a lot easier to take the steps necessary. Do Do you write out a plan to achieve a goal or do you kind of just write down the goal and that's what we're working towards? Tell me a little about your process there. Um, I've done it both ways. Sometimes I write it out. Sometimes I put it on my phone. Um, because I, like I said, I'm a very goal oriented person. So I have goals for everything, whether it's intellectual goals. Like I try and read this last year. I tried to read 40 books in the year. I didn't quite make it. Um, 40 but, books. Wow. That's a lot of books. <laughs> well, it's little, average is a little about three and a half a month. So it's okay. a little over one a week for me. And, and I, yeah, like I said, I almost got it, but it was, 
with work and stuff, sometimes it just didn't quite happen. Mm-hmm. But so I have those type of goals. I have like podcasts or any like learning audio books. I, I I'm constantly trying to stretch myself intellectually. Mm-hmm. I want to always be learning. Yeah. The more, the more you try and learn, the more you are focusing on learning a new skill or something like that, the more it comes naturally and you just want to keep doing it. For me, I find myself, if I get in a rut where a couple of weeks I don't, all of a sudden I'm not learning anymore and I'm all, it feels like I'm either stalled out or going backwards. And I always want to constantly be growing, whether it's, yeah, like I said, spiritually, um, intellectually, financially, I want to be pushing myself. And so I try and map those out as best I can, um, whether it's, yeah, like I said, on my phone or writing them out. But just knowing where you want to go. And even with finances, I, I kind of figured out what I that blueprints of a house that I would like to build, what it's going to cost. And then Katie and I, we just mapped out how, what do we have to save every year to meet this goal? To, to five years. Yeah. yeah. Five to seven. It kind of depends. Uh, we could do it a little cheaper. If mm. Yeah, that's great. I love to hear that. So it's been a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed having this chat with you. Where can people find you if if they're looking to move to the northern part of Idaho? Where where can they find out about, you know, Katie's got the real estate side so they can buy property or a house f- through her and you've got the construction. Where would people go to get in contact with you? Well, Katie is on most social media platforms. Uh, I believe she's on MeWe, Wimkin, uh, unfortunately, Facebook. <laughs> no, it's Facebook. Okay. I just, <laughs> oh, we're trying to get away from some, some of, that. of the evils we put up yes. with. <laughs> uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I believe it's just Katie Yoder Realtor. Okay. And for me, I don't have any personal um, social media as far as more than uh, for goals and stuff that I'm mm-hmm. talking about. But as for the business, it's just Integrity Builders LLC. Okay. Um, we, we are on Facebook there. All right. Do you have a website? Oh, we do, which is also Integrity Builders LLC. All right. Sounds great. It's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it, folks. So go check them out if you're looking to move to the northern Idaho area. And with that, go out and do good work.